Thank Good you for evening. downloading the following message from the Pickerington Amen Church of Christ. That. And if I were to say to you, we pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you, you walk say, with the Lord. For more information amen. or to find additional all resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. You've heard that before, haven't you? God is good all the time. The Bible doesn't just say God thinks about doing good. And the Bible doesn't just say that God wants to do good. The Bible doesn't just say that God does good. The Bible says that God is good. It's His very essence and nature that He's a good God. In fact, every intention of God from the beginning has only been for our good. I think it's important from time to time to just get back to some of these fundamentals like this. Uh, we do this quite often, but weighing this idea of God being good with some evil things that are going on in the world might be good for us tonight. But really what I want you to go away with tonight is that God thinks acts and intends good on your behalf all the time because he is good and any interaction that he wants to have with you is because he intends good from you and he has from the very very beginning we could find numerous passages of course that talk about this but i just want to pick out four to convince you of this from scripture just how much god is bent on your good, on your well-being. I chose one from the book of beginnings, Genesis, one from the law, one from the prophets, one from the gospels. And then we'll look through the letters as we go through the lesson and see that they are re replete with passages about this idea as well. And that God is, God is wanting to continually express this to us. I think because this world is very challenging, there is evil present and even abounding in the world, and we question God often. Maybe you've asked, why did you do this to me? But more so, we probably just ask, I wonder why God allows this to happen. You know, those of us who have faith may not challenge God so, so strongly. You may have in the past, but, but just why does this happen? What's He doing up there? We have those kinds of questions. I think it's really important to go back and theologically look at what God says about how He thinks toward you, what He intends toward you, what He wants to, to, um, to convey to you about how He feels about you. He's crazy. First of all, He started off in the garden in Genesis 2, verses 7 through 9. It says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God then planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the seed for food. The tree of life was also in the and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there it is. It's set up for our good. Without that tree of life, uh, we may not know uh, the life that is to come, without the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we may not have choices to make. And I'm, if you're like me, I like choice. I like to choose things. I like to choose the simplest things, like what toothpaste I want to buy. And I like to choose uh, also, um, I like to have chosen my wife. That was a nice choice. Uh, I like to choose where I want to live and what I want to do. 
function with God's will for me, but I want to be able to make those decisions. And there's a lot of things that we decide about. But God put man in the garden and gave him a choice, but he gave him that choice in order to choose love and in order to be obedient so that he might know the fullness of the goodness of God when he walks with him out of his own volition. So he set it up in the garden for good. And remember, it was perfect, wasn't it? It was perfect. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29, Moses reminds Israel as they're about to go into the land of Canaan. He said, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. That's what I want. I want it to be well with them and with their children forever. Listen to Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. And you come over, and I just selected one out of the Gospels, out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, and the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Then he went on to say, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or, he says, if he asks um, for an egg, oh, what did he say? I'm sorry, I just skipped into Luke, didn't I? He said right here, if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? And then he said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Luke says, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I got the two accounts mixed up, didn't I? But in either place, he makes this point. He said, how much more than you, who are willing and desire to give good gifts to your children, how much more God desires to give good things to those who ask Him. Ask, and you'll receive. You need to know that this is how God thinks toward you all the time. All the time. The Bible says that evil will be present with us on the earth until the end. Evil will be present with us on the earth. Till the evil men and imposters, Paul said, will grow worse and worse in their day, and perhaps we could argue that they still are. It seems that the world's getting worse. It might be because there's more people on it. And wherever there is evil, it's because people are there. And so as long as there are men walking the earth, there's going to be evil. We saw this this week again in foreign lands and in American school. Thanks, Rich, for praying over that school and those people. We saw it in the local news. Uh, uh, Tori Hardesty made a prayer request uh, this last week for a, a fellow officer who was, was shot. Um, and maybe you even see it within your own circles of neighbors in the neighborhood or in your circles of friendships. Maybe at work you see evil done. Maybe this week you've even seen it in your own family. The chances are it's possible, just possible, that if we're honest... There's some found within us too. Paul said in Romans chapter 7 that who's going to save me from this body of sin? That's because he said it is present with me. 
to do evil. But so is God's goodness found everywhere, church. God's goodness is found everywhere. Look at the food growing in the fields when you come here and when you leave tonight. And the rain and the sun that we're having and the beauty of spring and, and everything's growing and going on just as God intends. He's upholding all things by the word of His power. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Uh, he loves us and He's showing us that as we look around. Listen to the babies in this building and, and all the little new infants uh, that have come to us. Look at the brothers here with their new kidneys and our sister who wants to donate to a young girl. Look at uh, the love being shown to our new brides, our new mothers in the showers that they're receiving, our new members, our departing members, even tonight as we say goodbye to some loved, beloved members, and also the love that's shown to our grieving brothers and sisters, and we've had some of those today, and as uh, the Henrys buried their mother, and even as the Colliers have lost their uh, stepfather, I pray, uh, pray for them. But uh, we have, even in that, uh, the goodness of God being shown and love toward one another. It's all around. But evil rocks us to the core. It makes us question God. One person, for example, in this um, most recent school incident, one person indicts God and says, I don't know why this, this happens. And another person drew nearer to God. It happens in, in, every, uh, in every instance that some major catastrophe or some moral evil takes place. Some people will shake the fist at God. The book of Revelation says on the day there will be people shaking their fists at God. They just won't understand why there was evil in the world. And... There are going to be those who are drawing near to Him. The fact is that the evil doing of men does not diminish the character of God. Evil does not diminish the character. It does not tarnish the fact that God is good. In fact, it should highlight the goodness of God and our need for Him. The ugliness of sin should serve as a reminder that this is not what God intended. It should drive us to search for God. And when men blame God for evil, it should provide for us a great opportunity to tell them, no, God so loves the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life, that God calls all men everywhere to repentance and to walk in the good works which He prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So even in the times of distress, and when evils befall us, whether they be natural or moral evils committed at the hands of men, church, let's not forget that God intends good for us, and it is the nature of men in sin to do this, to do these things, and also God wants us to draw near to Him during these times of difficulty. Because God's good, he sent Jesus into the world. What was it that the angels announced to the shepherds in the field? You remember what they said? They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Goodwill toward men. See, there's another place where we learn that God's intentions are in goodwill toward us. 
In Acts 3.26, Peter said, God sent him, Jesus, to bless you in turning each one of you away from your sins. All right, now think about this with me. God sent him to bless you. That's right, he died on the cross for us. As one of the blessings is that he would turn you from your sins. When we hear the story of the cross, as, though, as they did on that very day, they were cut to the heart and repented. But Jesus in his ministry was turning people away from their sin by a number of ways before he was even crucified. He was turning people from their sin by teaching them. He went into his own hometown after coming out of the, the wilderness of temptation early in his ministry. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, he quotes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he sat down and the eyes of everyone were on him. And then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He sent me to do this. Goodwill toward men. He taught them that God was going to save them through him. As David in the Psalms did when he said, Good and upright is the Lord. He teaches sinners in the way. He taught them by example. Remember his invitations? Remember him calling to people? Follow me. Called his disciples. Follow me. He called those who were weary and heavy laden. He said, Come to me and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. But you know, he also commanded men to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, didn't he? He said to the Pharisees, unless you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. You need to repent. To repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, as did John. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through the, that the world through Him might be saved. See, Jesus did not come even in His time here to condemn. He reserved that for the second coming, didn't He? And some would, would call upon Him to rise up and rule in such a way that He would bring judgment and condemnation upon their enemies, or that He would be, in a vindictive manner, take vengeance upon some who were in sin. Even His apostles called on Him to use some of that power from time to time. And he said over and over again, the Son of Man, He said to Zacchaeus' house, salvation's come to this house today. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was here as an act of goodwill toward men. He didn't come to condemn men. He came to teach them, exemplify, and to call them and command them into repentance. God is good that He sent Jesus in such a manner. If He'd have sent Him to judge and to condemn that first visit, I'm not sure how many of us would have, would have made it under such a reign, or the people of those days. But God is good, and so He will judge sinners. These two things collaborate. These two things coincide. Because He desires to do us good, He will judge the world. I had a conversation with a gentleman about a week and a half ago, and he was angry that God didn't do enough to judge. 
the world. And I said, that will come. And you and I don't want God to be judging harshly right now evil because you and I will fall under that same condemnation. We want grace right now. But that means we're going to have to tolerate evil men. That means we're going to have to put up with some evil doing. That means that we're going to have to endure some of the hardships that come at the hands of other people. We're going to have to endure that. God said that that will help us to build the character that we need to be like Him, to understand Him. But because God is good, I mentioned to that man, He will judge sinners. Psalm 145, verses 9-20, through 20, we read a couple of verses of it. But the psalmist said, The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. I love this passage. He says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, gracious in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He'll fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He'll also hear their cry and save them. Now listen closely to this transition. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. And so, in His goodness is justice. In His goodness is vindication, is vengeance upon all those who, as He wrote through Paul to the Thessalonians, bring trial and tribulation upon others, but especially upon His people in that passage. Chapter, uh, Psalm 146, verses 5-10 through 10 says this, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in him, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. Now here again, listen in the same context. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that because he is good, he will deal with evil. And he tells us, church, in a number of places, and in Romans chapter 12 is our, is our covenant commandment today, when he said, vengeance is mine, says, says the Lord, I will repay. So he told us to heap burning coals upon our enemies' heads. Jesus told us to pray for them. Paul said, to do good to those who do evil to you. Do not be overcome by that evil, he said at the end of that chapter, but overcome it with good. When God executes judgment against men, some say he's not good, but it's because he's good that he judges men. All these things in the Old Testament that you read about, the flood, for example, uh, a complete devastation of all life on earth, except all those who were in the ark, the conquest of Canaan, where he sent his people from slavery in to annihilate other people. The 
exile of his own people when they rejected him and all the ugliness that went with it. He not only allowed the enemies to come in when they rejected him, his hand was actually against his own people. All of these things were because God is good. He did not put that good character and that good nature aside to do those things. It was the passion and the heat that came from his goodness that caused him to execute judgment against those people. And do you know why it, uh, he does that? It tells us in, in uh, many of these places very plainly so that those who remained would know that he is the Lord. So that all nations would know who he is. Why? So that they might turn to him. They might come to him and fear him as God, but learn to love him as he wants to do us good, as he wants to intend the best for us always. And so when God would get to the point where he destroyed, that's the exception. That's the exception to his nature. It's not the intention from the creation. And you can see some of that too, by the way, in the New Testament, can't you? With Ananias and Sapphira in the early church, uh, with the mentioning of, to the Corinthians of those who have fallen asleep because of their disrespect for the Lord's Supper, uh, the, the threat to the church at Thyatira um, concerning their immorality, that he would kill some of those who were following after the ways of some of their ringleaders. Uh, God still is, will execute judgment on his people. He still will do that. But one of the reasons I wanted to preach this tonight was to remind you and I not to first think that God is always angry or that every time something doesn't go well with us, that he's trying to do something to us because he's upset, angry, or whatever. He may well be disciplining you, but if God is bringing some kind of hardship on you, it's to teach you. The difference that James said between him and Satan is that Satan tempts us, but God tests us. God will never tempt us. The idea of temptation is to get you to fall and to get you to fall away from God. God doesn't test you to get you to fall. He tests you to get you to stand up and be strong. So He runs tests on us that will allow us, first of all, that we can pass them, and that will make us better in the end. That's not Satan's intention at all. His intention is very different. It's to destroy. Paul said in the Roman letter, Chapter 2, verse 4. That because of God's goodness, men should repent. Some of us here probably repented out of straight fear of going to hell. And there's a little bit of both that should motivate us, or a lot of both. It should be motivated by both. Which, which one? Which, which is healthy? Both. It's good to know. It's good to know that if I don't obey the Lord, that I'll be destroyed eternally. It's also good to know the Lord and how much He loves the world and how much He loved me that Christ would die for me and to motivate me in that way. So Paul made this statement in Romans 2.4. He said, Or do you despise the riches, as he was calling the Romans, into repentance. Do you despise the riches of His goodness? Forbearance, 
and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What did Paul want to highlight to them in order to bring them into alignment with God's will in that passage? You despise the riches of His goodness, His patience, not knowing that, that, that God's goodness leads you to repentance. So if, if we are in fear all the time, church, we're going to perhaps try to come into obedience to the commandments, but we may never know the Lord. We may never know His heart. What He wants us to understand is that He wants to do us good. And that we just need to know the consequences if we decide we're going to reject Him. God will take a person's decision to ignore His goodness, to reject His Son and spurn His commandments as an answer toward His goodwill toward us. He'll, he'll, he'll receive that response of ignorance, rejection, rebellion. He'll receive that as an answer. You know, to obey the gospel, Peter said, is the answer of a good conscience toward God. We're answering the call by wanting to be in God's good will. So to not respond, to not even seek it. For all the people out there that we know that are, that are, that are good-hearted, we, we like to say they're good-hearted. Well, they're kind. They're still giving an answer by being able to look at the fields and look at the babies and look at the love and see the goodness and still not even pursue their own Creator. Don't forget that. God has called everyone. He's given us all adequate testimony, adequate evidence. Jesus Christ walked on the earth, folks, for 33 years and performed miracles. One man said recently to me, why doesn't He do it now? Why doesn't He do it now? I said, He doesn't need to continually do it. That coming of that man was so powerful and the testimony was so undeniable that when it was recorded in a book, it was good for everybody who would ever live after that. Time doesn't change truth. He doesn't need to come and resurrect Him every 33 years. And you remember what the people said to Jesus, show us a sign, show us a sign. He said, I'll show you a sign. You're always asking for a sign. Here, I'll give you a sign, right? And um, you remember what uh, Lazarus, or what the rich man said to Abraham, in the uh, parable in Luke, he said, "If if my brothers, my father could just, if we could just send send him send me back or send someone back, they'll change their mind." He said, "If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe it. If even if somebody comes to him from the dead, some people just don't want to believe." But that's where we want to step in and overcome that with good. Okay, so nowhere in the Bible. Let me wrap this up with this idea. We are called now to do good. But nowhere in the Bible does this phrase occur, be good. Be good is not in the Bible, those two words together. Be good. You remember what Jesus said when someone called Him good teacher. He said, why do you call me good? There's, not, there's no one good but one, that is God. He was trying to express the point that only one is good God, that men in and of themselves are not good. You're not going to accomplish being completely good like God. It's not in us to do so, but there are numerous passages that tell us to do good. And the only way I can tell you briefly in the, in the short couple of minutes I have here remaining is that the only way we're going to do that 
is to obey the gospel and have our sins washed away, receive God's Spirit, and begin to intertwine our spirit with God's Spirit. We're going to become one with Him. And when we do that, we're going to start producing fruit. We'll be submissive to the Spirit. We'll listen to the words of the Spirit. And we'll do these words. And the fruit that comes from it will be fruits of the Spirit. Because I'm not good. I'm not good left to myself. The only way that I'm going to be able to do the good that God asked me to do is by His own power working in me. And the kind of good that we're talking about, by the way, is not just acts of kindness. Else we could say, well, there's, everybody does some good things from now and then. The Christians just do more good things and that's why they go to heaven? No, that's, that's not it at all. The fruit that's produced is spiritual fruit. It's eternal fruit. It has eternal consequences to it. It has eternal weight to it. So when we go and we do the good works of God and we produce fruit, that fruit ought to have within it some power to have an eternal effect on another person, whether it's one to another or to those outside. And part of that comes when we do all things in the name of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving glory to God. That is the kind of goodness that we're, we're talking about doing. Not just niceties, not just being kind. No one may ever know that you're a Christian if that's all it is. So we need to understand that the good that we're trying to do now as Christians is to take the goodness of God, which is eternal intentions of good toward me and reflect those outwardly so people understand that they are in eternal spirit and that the good that you're doing to them should have with it the intention of them having an eternal result. Does that make sense? We should try to win them. That's what I'm saying. We should try to win them by our good works. Whatever those works are, small or great, we want to do all things to try to fulfill that will of God. And the only way that I can do that, I can be nice once in a while, but the only way that someone can go to heaven because of something I did is if I reflect the fruit of the Spirit that, that is produced through my good works, thanks to God, into their lives, and they respond to it and praise God, not Matt Thomas. I want somebody to praise Matt Thomas. I want somebody to praise God. Like Peter said, when he said in uh, 2 Peter 2, to have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Or what Jesus said when he simply said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the idea of our goodness. Church, we don't want to just be nice people. We want to produce fruit to eternity to have an eternal effect in people's lives. So when these kidney transplants are going on, for example, it's nice when somebody compliments the church. The people over at the OSU Medical Center were very complimentary of our church. But when they were talking to John Ziegler, myself, and others, we were interested in being able to tell them why. They asked why. We were able to tell them, you know, why, why would people do this in your church? Why, why is it so prevalent? We were able to tell them why. I'm thinking, myself, I want to produce an eternal 
effect here. And, and I want that good work that I do to bring God glory as He desires that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I want to encourage you that way. Have the same intentions when you do good that would have an eternal effect that God has toward you when He does good to you. And He wants you to live with Him eternally. So all we're doing is turning that around and expressing that out. I didn't even use the word evangelism, did I? That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Taking the good news out to people. So do good to all and don't grow weary in doing it. Galatians 6. And tonight, <clears throat> we learned a few things about God's goodness. He's good all the time. It's His nature. It's, uh, God can be good and judge sin. Uh, God is good in that He sent Christ to save us. God wants to knit our spirit together with His Spirit so that we become Christ-like and produce fruit. But the church must recognize God's goodness. And we must receive God's goodness. And then we must represent God's goodness to the people around us. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope you're calling the name of the Lord tonight, if you're not a Christian, to be saved and to receive Jesus Christ, to receive forgiveness, to receive the Spirit of God, and begin to walk in good works and produce fruit of those good works. Let's stand and sing this song. If there's anybody that needs to respond tonight, please come forward.